Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Well, this afternoon, we're going to look particularly here in these verses, verses 9 to 14 of chapter 1 in Paul's letters to the Colossians, because it is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Now, we know how vital prayer is, don't we? Particularly as we continue in the Christian life. Paul begins his letter speaking of prayer in verse 3. And he concludes in his commands to the Colossians in chapter 4 that they should continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, to set the context of Paul's intercession for the Colossians, we must remember how in last week's study, the Apostle Paul has written to the church at Colossae to encourage them and remind them of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that combines both Paul and the Colossians, whom he has never met, into the one family of God. Paul has recounted his own story as a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ to being now an apostle sent by that same Jesus Christ, And the story of how the gospel has spread throughout all of the province of Asia. By Epaphras first, and then to the cities from the coast at Ephesus, deep into Turkey at the Euphrates River, at the limits of the Roman Empire. And so he gives thanks for this wonderful gospel fruit that has so encouraged him, and driven him to prayer on their behalf. And so we come to verses 9 to 14, the body of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And so in our study today, we're going to gain some clues of the way ahead for you and me. Because in the language of his prayer, we can see the areas of concern Paul has for their spiritual maturity. And that should be our concern as well. Paul has a concern concerning false teaching and false teachers moving through the area. We're unsure precisely what that teaching was, but we can understand what was the trajectory of false doctrine because it continues among us today. It is inevitable among sinful men and women who are in rebellion against God, that they, almost by nature, will corrupt the purity of the gospel without the benefit of God's word, keeping it as the final authority and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And as you read through the Colossians itself, as we will see here today in verse 9, 
that there is a particular teaching Paul keeps pointing to concerning fullness. That is, these false teachers taught that a certain spiritual fullness was lacking in the Colossians. And that this fullness is more than, and this is the key, what they had received in the gospel of Christ. We can see the attitude today, can't we? You see it in two different ways. We either set an agenda that contains God's grace and mercy as an abstraction, as some sort of benefits, but are not found in Jesus Christ and a continuing relationship with him. And what's the result? Well, if I can limit God in that way, then I can live my life as I choose. And so I can live whatever way I want. In other words, we can become lawless, we can become antinomian, we can become licentious. Now the other extreme is we can set an agenda for ourselves that makes the gospel something more than Jesus Christ. And what is the result then? Well, we can see it here. I extend what God may require of me in my Christian life to something additional that sets me apart from others around me. In other words, I can become legalistic. The thing to remember, my dear friends, is that both of these are rebellion against the sufficiency of God's word and of God's salvation as he has established it. Ultimately, it becomes profoundly self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this precisely. This idea from the false teachers that there should be something more. The Colossians need something more to gain spiritual fullness. And we know this because we see how he uses fullness and its various cognates and synonyms in various ways as noun and verb throughout the letter. Notice how false teaching can do this. It can take a goal we all have, which is to be spiritually mature, and create a dangerous error around it that ultimately erases the Lord Jesus as the center. So Paul's answer to this teaching, the great scriptural principle that we will find again and again in this letter is this. Discover all Jesus Christ is. That's the first part. Discover all Jesus Christ is. Then, the second part, what is all ours in Jesus Christ? What is all ours in Jesus Christ? Paul is saying, let the indicatives of the gospel work on your heart and mind first, so that therefore you may keep the imperatives of the gospel in their proper perspective that will bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Now what can we learn also today is how Paul prays and ask ourselves a simple question. Do I pray like this? Is this how I shape my own prayer life? 
Notice how he begins, that he begins with thanksgiving in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He begins with thanksgiving, the adoration for what God has done for us in Christ, specifically for the Colossians in this case. Now Paul continues from thanksgiving to his petitions to our Heavenly Father for the Colossians in verses 9 to 10. Then, in 11 and the first part of 12, he summarizes what is a very specific aspiration for them. Then concludes with a bold and direct assertion of the foundation of our salvation in verses 12 and 14. So let's now take a more careful look at his prayer. First, his dedicated intercession in verses 9 and 10. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now notice how Paul's intercession has two elements in it. The first is the priority of doctrinal understanding, of doctrinal understanding. That's where he always begins. This is where the scripture always begins. And you can see it in our key word here, that you may be filled. You see, there it is. Now, with what are we to be filled? What follows? With knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now what Paul is doing here is that he's deliberately drawing from the Old Testament where you always see this pairing of wisdom and understanding. The individual is humble under the law of God. It's used to describe godly leaders like Moses and King Solomon. They have wisdom and understanding because they have submitted to God's word. And that combination suggests that they now have the ability to discern what is true and to make good decisions based on that truth. And the Old Testament always makes it clear that this truth comes only from God himself. It is God's truth. And we know that he has all this in mind, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to chapter 2, a little further down. Because he says there, in chapter 2, verse 3, this, that it is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Now we can understand this, can't we? Because the Old Testament has as its purpose this pointing toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gloriously encourages the Christian as he or she realizes how God, as the author of the scriptures, gathered all of history toward our Savior. And so we understand this principle, how we must know and understand God's word if we are to discover all that is Jesus Christ, our principle. 
So what's the result? Notice the purpose clause there, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, you see how it's working here? That as we discover more and more of all that is in Jesus Christ, so we are shaped and changed in our thinking and inclination to live our lives in a manner worthy of him. Now, we must take care here because Paul does not mean worthy in the sense of making us worthy, but that we live our lives shaped by God's grace and mercy that we have received from him in Jesus Christ. And we know this because it is in a manner fully pleasing to him. And there's that key word again, fully pleasing, fullness. That is, the more we grasp the wonder of our salvation, the more we want to please our loving Heavenly Father, who saved us in the first place. And that is where we must pause for a moment, my dear friends, and ask an important question. When we consider how we live our lives today, is this our attitude, an attitude of pleasure in living our lives before God? Or is it more of a burden? I mean, how would you describe yourself this afternoon? Well, you might say to me, Henry, it is a struggle at times. And I would say, now, wait a minute. I didn't ask or say struggle. I asked, is it a burden? Because we all have struggles as we become more and more like our Savior in this fallen world. But is it a burden to you? Now, my dear friend, if it is, then you lack doctrinal understanding of what you have in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Because the Christian life is a struggle, but it is never a burden. The scripture never says there will not be effort in the Christian life. But it is opposed to earning in the Christian life. And it is when we get this attitude of earning that it becomes a burden. Very important distinction. There will always be effort in the Christian life, but if we feel we have a burden, we've shifted from effort to earning. We've seen worthiness in a completely different way. We're drifting now, drifting toward legalism. You see, it is a pleasure to please God when you are a believer. And what is the key to this pleasure? It is an increase in your knowledge of God. You see it here, don't you? An increasing, he says, in the knowledge of God. So my friend, do you know this pleasure for yourselves? Do you want to know more? Then you must return to the scriptures. So this is how Paul dedicates and regularly prays for the Colossians. Now secondly, we have a definitive aspiration for them. In verses 11 and the first half of 12, may you be strengthened, he says, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, 
giving thanks to the Father. Now notice how Paul's aspiration for the Colossians for strength is very specific. It's a strength that further emphasizes the extent of God's empowering. That is, it is all power. The fullness of power. That's our key word again, isn't it? It's the fullness of God's power, all power, that strengthens the believer. Now notice how Paul makes the source specific. It's according to his glorious might. Now that's significant. Because, you see, my friends, might in the New Testament occurs half of the times in doxologies, in praises of God's character. In other words, the believer finds security. He finds fullness of God's power in remembering that God cannot contradict his character, that he is glorious in his might. What may not be visible to you now is always true spiritually because God is still God. You can do a private study of doxologies that praise God's might and power. And when you do, you will find that it is extolled most often when it makes reference to Jesus Christ. And specifically to Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. So here we learn where we must go. In order to be comforted by the fullness of God's power, we must remind ourselves how the same power that brought Christ from the dead is the same power that brought you from spiritual death into life and continues to work in you right now. Right now. At this moment, as the word of God is preached to you today. Notice how our strengthening by God's power in the gospel has this product. It is for all endurance and patience. There's our key word again. All. All power brings about all full endurance and patience. Now we can see how this power, the resurrection power of Christ is required so that we may have the necessary endurance required because of what Paul goes on to say. In the older translations, like the King James Version, the word translated endurance is long-suffering. You might want to remember it that way. Long-suffering. Struggle. Paul is making a specific reference here to the trials in your Christian life. But he has in view the entirety of your Christian life. That there may be particular specific weaknesses in your life that never seem to go away. In other words, you are long suffering with them. But what Paul is praying is that in that you will discover the fullness of God's power. In other words, as you struggle with them, it will bring you back again and again and again into greater dependence upon God. That's precisely what Paul is praying for them. That is the emphasis in the Greek word that he used that you read there as patience. It means to remain under a weight. So as we struggle, 
as we cry out to God and are brought into greater and greater dependence upon him and his power to deliver us as each time we are reminded that such power does exist in God and specifically in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, but not in ourselves, we can endure one more day. One more hour. One more minute. But notice how Paul writes that such long-suffering and patience is always linked to joy and thanksgiving to the Father. There are so many hymns of the Christian life in old hymnals that express that key principle. One of them I remember from years ago was, O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Notice how he's doing this. Each time over again, as we struggle, we cry out to God, his power sustains us, and so we come again into the depths of his mercy and his grace, and so we render joy and thanks to him. Because we draw nearer to our Heavenly Father through what we endure on this earth in the same way that our Savior did. So we have Paul's dedicated and regular intercession. We have his specific aspiration for the Colossians. And now he concludes his prayer almost inevitably with a reminder of the assurance of our salvation. There it is as our third point. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can you see how Paul picks up here again what he already has written concerning saints in verse 2? He wants to underscore again here what has already been done by God and now will continue in you as a believer. He says, already you have been transferred from one realm into the other. You are set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Colossians must never forget this. So Paul is continually praying for them that they will not forget this. And so we must not forget this. We must keep this in our mind. Notice how we give thanks to God the Father Because he has qualified us, qualified us to share in his inheritance for the saints. Now, why should Paul put his emphasis here? Because it is the natural drift of our hearts to go to something more than God's grace in Christ. In other words, I must do something more. Now, there are many Christians today who believe they're, well, not really ready for heaven. They're not qualified for heaven. That something more needs to be done. And it's from this that the great error of purgatory has arisen. And that even someone like C.S. Lewis faltered here. Yet because of the gospel of justification by grace alone, 
through Christ's death alone and by faith alone, God's verdict on the last day cannot be changed. We are qualified by him in his grace. He's saying, my son, my daughter, you are accepted. And what he says at the end of time, at that great court, at the end of the age, resonates right here and right now in your life. So my friend, have you ever despaired because knowingly or unknowingly false teaching has penetrated your thinking that perhaps you should do more? Remember that God has not only declared you not guilty, but he has declared you righteous, adopted you so that you enjoy Christ's inheritance of eternal life as your own. And he has delivered you from judgment on the last day. That's what he says in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice how Paul is deliberately echoing here Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt to give this magnificent description of salvation that shows our old life as lived under a tyranny of darkness. We're enslaved to the powers of darkness. We were spiritually blind in darkness. And so we live in darkness. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, these powers have been forced to give us up. Make us free. And now we are in the light of Christ. And so now we can see. How is this accomplished? We must wait a little bit. It's in chapter 2 to come. But I can tell you now, it is because of the cross of Jesus Christ that every single man, every single woman in Christ shares in that triumph of deliverance. And that is where Paul takes us next, that we have redemption, that we've been liberated, we've been released from bondage, our bondage in sin, that redemption is the forgiveness of sins. Now, verse 14 can be so important for us today that continued blessing has sometimes been devalued, this blessing of forgiveness. That's why it's so important for us as we gather as a congregation every Sunday in the office of evening prayer to begin with the exhortation to come again and confess our sins. Not to make us feel some burden for what we have done, but rather to experience the joy of repentance and forgiveness. It always, always works that way. You see, my dear friends, pardon without deliverance would be a mockery of God's character. And the word of God does not sustain this. We ought not to speak of forgiveness as though it were some one-off thing that happens when we first believe, but rather that it's a continuing process as we move through the Christian life, as again and again and again we are delivered and delivered and delivered. The forgiveness of God flows from the cross, where Christ not only canceled our debt, but also delivers us from our enemy. So let me ask you this as we close. Have you as a believer 
forgotten what your Lord and Savior has done for you? Do your attitudes or your actions show that you're dissatisfied or burdened in some way? That you've forgotten this great work of Jesus for you? How often are you aware of this? This fact that you are pardoned and delivered from all your sins. If you are lacking in any of these ways, it must animate your life of prayer. It must become where you go in prayer to return to those certainties, those, in, those indicatives of the gospel. Learn all of Jesus Christ and then what you have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.